Good afternoon and welcome to the Middle East Forum. Our podcast series Israel Insider with Ashley Barry. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Mr. Ashley Barry, advisor to the Middle East Forum Office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And now with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. We are now officially in the after holiday season uh, in Israel, as I said last week. So much stops for this period to the point where it's almost a joke in Israel, where people want to get something done. The common responses after the Chagim, after the festivals. So uh, the festivals ended yesterday, last night uh, in Israel, and now we're uh, the first day of school is tomorrow, um, and sort of the first day back at work for many people is tomorrow, and the Knesset, politics, government, everything sort of uh, moving back. Uh, to a full throttle. Um, as, as I said in the title of the webinar, uh, really everyone's focus in the coming days is going to be to try and push uh, the budget. The budget for many months has been the game in town, the thing that everyone's looking for, the opportunity for the opposition to bring down the government. Uh, the thing which is going to make or break this government in the couple of months is not the Palestinian issue, it's not Iran, it's not even COVID. Uh, it's basically whether they can come together and agree on uh, the budget and the arrangements law, which goes alongside it. As I explained a few weeks ago, um, how the budget works, there's two parts of it. There's the, the, the numbers, uh, which everyone thinks of when they think of a budget, but the most important is how the money is going to be spent. And that's in arrangements law, which is hundreds of pages, um, which really goes into uh, how every shekel is going to be spent. And that's where the most disagreements come up. So far, as um, you'll know, if you've been watching this webinar, following the news, uh, the first reading uh, of the uh, budgets passed, but it's the second and third readings, which usually come one after the other, uh, which are going to be the most fraught. And as we know, it has to be passed uh, in November or we go to new elections. Uh, so let's take a step back and look at some of the events that happened this week to give us an idea of where we're standing, bearing in mind that um, politics has taken a little bit of a backseat because many uh, politicians have been either taking vacation or doing things uh, in their ministries, which are not really uh, closely related to the budget or necessarily uh, inter-party politics. But uh, let's go to somewhere... For arguably as far away from that issue as possible, and that's in New York, the UN General Assembly this week. Naftali Bennett, uh, for the first time in many years, I believe since 2011, we didn't have, and that was a veto I know because I helped him with that speech, uh, but for the first time since then, uh, since, since then we didn't have Benjamin Netanyahu at the stand in the General Assembly, as we know, uh, former Prime Minister Netanyahu would like to use his graphs, like to use his um, tools, like to sort of make a bit of a show. And, you know, it, it was, I would say, well received. It was received and it used to make lots of headlines. Uh, a lot of people were looking to see what Prime Minister Bennett would do, if it would be in, con in contrast, in opposition to what Netanyahu did. And he said in the lead up, his advisors uh, released that it would be different um, in substance. 
and the way it was given over, there'd be no uh, aids, uh, visual aids, as Prime Minister Netanyahu liked to leave, uh, liked to use. Um, and it was, let's just say the two main issues uh, during the Bennett speech were COVID and Israel's, what Israel's doing about it, and Iran. On Iran, let's be honest, there's no real substantive uh, difference between uh, Bennett and Netanyahu on Iran. Both see that as a major threat. Both are working very hard behind the scenes to try and stop Iranian nuclear weapons program as much as possible diplomatically or through other means. Uh, there are some difference in tactics, especially uh, regarding how they deal with the Americans. Obviously, uh, Netanyahu is far more vocal in his opposition to the policies, whereas Bennett or the Bennett administration has decided to be a little less open uh, about it and to air grievances uh, and to uh, discuss strategies behind the scenes. Uh, but as far as the threats, the threat of Iran, uh, neither of them have any great substantive difference as most Israeli politicians don't. What was interesting has certainly become the, the, um, the major discussion this week was uh, Bennett's part about COVID. And while much of it was about how Israel's leading on its response to COVID and was doing a good job, a booster, et cetera, et cetera, one part of it really uh, gained the most attention from the reaction. And that was when he said that while he listens to the experts on it, they're not the ones to make the decisions and they don't have the full gamut of, uh, of uh, what, what's going on. Uh, you know, they don't take into consideration maybe economic and social issues and other issues, uh, whereas it's the decision makers, which is right, a politician is supposed to listen to advisors, but then they're the elected officials who are supposed to make the decision. But that rank caused quite a few feathers, as one can imagine, especially in the health ministry, now, under uh, former uh, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, the advisors in the health ministry, when they would advise a lockdown and uh, severe restrictions, they were mostly listened to. And we saw a definitely, we have seen definitely a major strategy between uh, the Netanyahu era in COVID, uh, which was marked by you know, lockdown, severe restriction, and Bennett, who has said that it would be very easy just to do that, but he's fighting as much as possible to keep Israel open, the economy open, et cetera, et cetera. And we've seen that, and there's been a lot of, uh, you know, uh, sort of um, going to the media and giving them off the record talks about how the government isn't listening to the experts and downward trends and scaremongering, and there's been threats back and forth. But what Bennett basically said rankled not just feathers amongst the experts, but obviously, Health Minister uh, Nitzan Horowitz of the uh, far left Merits Party. Now, why that's interesting is a couple of reasons. First of all, Nitzan Horowitz was not just uh, disappointed over those statements because as a minister, he has to back his staff, uh, his civil servants, but also what rankled him about the Bennett speech was the fact that the Palestinian issue was just not referenced at all. Uh, it's clear, you know, we know Bennett's position that there will be no Palestinian state. At the moment, he's not prepared to meet with Mahmoud Abbas. Um, but the fact that it took such a back seat, I mean, even Netanyahu never put it on such a back burner. He did mention it and he did attack the Palestinian leadership time to time. And he did it even outstretch hand on time to time. But the fact that it wasn't mentioned rankled the left. Uh, and Nitzan Horowitz certainly uh, wouldn't have taken too kindly to that aspect of the speech as well. What was interesting is obviously there was another audience listening to this speech uh, that is now trying to wade into Israeli politics, perhaps to try and 
see if there's any gaps that can be exploited uh, in this government. And I'm not talking about Benjamin Netanyahu, I'm talking about Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas. Uh, as we know, he also gave a speech, a typical anti-Israel speech referring to Israel as the, or the creation of Israel as the Nakba, threatening Israel that if it doesn't retreat to the pre-67 lines within one year, there'll be major consequences, whether one takes those threats seriously. Uh, Abbas has made many threats in the past, as well as making many promises in the past. And, uh, you know, one can argue whether it's uh, geared towards domestic uh, Palestinian audience or not. Uh, but what obviously he has been doing is keeping a, a keen ear on what's going on in Israeli politics, because uh, today it came out that uh, Mahmoud Abbas has invited um, Horowitz and another merits uh, minister, uh, Frege, uh, to meet with him in Ramallah. Now, why that's interesting, uh, especially after we saw Defence Minister Gantz meet with uh, Abbas and Ramallah, is the fact that this has nothing to do with the ministries involved. You know, we have uh, Frege, who is the regional uh, development or cooperation min uh, ministry, which is supposed to be the wider Arab world. We have Nitzan Horowitz's uh, health ministry. Now, it's clear that Benny Gantz, as the defence minister, you know, he, he's in charge of what goes on in Judea and Samaria, which and relationship with the Palestinian Authority is one of the one of the items on his agenda. So it makes sense for him to be meeting with Abbas. There's no real sense for the health minister or the regional development or regional cooperation minister to be meeting with Abbas. Uh, they're not going to be talking about those particular issues, but what they will be talking about, obviously, is trying to, uh, you know, it will be in Merckx's interest to show its public that it cares about the Palestinian issue. It hasn't forgotten about the issue even if the prime minister of this unity coalition apparently has. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas perhaps is trying to take advantage of that, uh, knowing that uh, there's quite a lot of latitude for many of the political players at this point, uh, because with a, a budget coming up, as I said, the important budget uh, vote coming up, uh, no one's going to sort of make a big stink about this. Uh, Bennett's office was asked about this, and they basically came out with a, sort of wrote answer that uh, they, haven't, uh, they haven't been uh, asked formally uh, by the ministers whether they can travel to Ramallah, so there's nothing to talk about at this point. But Israeli reporters are saying that the request did come in. Um, so it'd be very interesting to see how this plays out. We, we talked last time about the relationship between Bennett and Gantz and how there's a personal uh, element to it. Uh, and Gantz obviously wants to play to his audience and he holds the greatest cards because of the leverage he has with the potential of an alternate government with Netanyahu, as we talked last week. Merits have less leverage. Uh, they're a smaller party, and they know it would be very difficult for them. Uh, you know, they were, they were just over the threshold, the electoral threshold. So for them, they really need to get back to their boilerplate issues. Uh, Nitzan Horowitz, I think, has done a, a relatively good job. Uh, but at the end of the day, Merits is an ideologically left-wing party. So for them, the, having the Palestinian issue front and center for them is certainly interesting. But the way this plays out will tell us a lot about the stability of this coalition. What I do believe that will happen is uh, quite simply that they'll try and find a way. Horowitz and Farage uh, will go to Ramallah. There'll be a meeting, which will be press release, maybe even pictures of the event, and uh, Bennett will once again say that he has no interest in meeting with Abbas on his watch, there'll be no Palestinian state, and they'll sort of go their ways. 
Um, I don't think it will have a massive impact on the way uh, things vote. As I said, the way the coalition members are talking, the big threat remains Benny Gantz. Um, here's the wild card, even though I, I think it's more about leverage than an actual real intention to go back into the arms of Netanyahu. What is most interesting at this point also is that former interior minister and head of the Shas party, Arya Derry, um, was reported to have told a lot of confidence this week that he should have pushed harder for Gantz to have received the rotation uh, last time during the Netanyahu-Gantz uh, 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 government, uh, which we know broke up because there was no intention ever really to hand over the government to Gantz. So the budget issue was put up as, a, as an excuse and the government fell. Uh, Netanyahu let it fell in the hope that he would then gain a, a greater majority subsequent elections. We know he didn't, and we know this uh, uh, unity government of left, right, center uh, came about. But the fact that uh, Arya Derry is saying this now is partly in the direction of Netanyahu, but it's a big part in the direction of Gantz saying he wronged Gantz. You know, this is a time of introspection in the Jewish calendar, perhaps even a time to ask for forgiveness. Now, it wasn't that, but the fact that he said it was a big mistake uh, shows um, that, you know, Gantz is the one that they're all focusing their attention on. He is the wild card here. If there's going to be any problems in the, uh, the budgetary discussions, and there will be some problems and there'll be some back and forth, there already has been, and there will be certainly many more, um, then uh, I think those will be solved. The one potential, which both sides understand, uh, to move one way or another is Benny Gantz. I still don't think it will happen. I think the budget will pass, but the difference with Benny Gantz is he has another place to go. Horowitz, the left wing, even pretty much every other party in the coalition has nowhere else to go. They have no leverage. Benny Gantz's leverage will continue after the budget. So I don't think he'll necessarily use the budget um, as a way to uh, fail the government. Uh, there could be many other issues which will speak to his base and will give him an excuse if, again, he desires it uh, to go back into the arms of Netanyahu. But he will be the one that all the focus will be on. Uh, but there's still quite a lot of work to do, and there'll be a very robust opposition uh, in the coming weeks. But at the moment, so far, the momentum before the, uh, the holidays, before the, uh, the break in the Knesset uh, schedule, the momentum was certainly with the coalition. And if that continues the way it is, and everyone stays in line with some minor saber rattling, then I don't think there'll be too many problems. And I do see that the budget will pass. And then, as I've said many, many times, the atmosphere will change. The whole dimensions will change. There'll be a, 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 you know, they'll be checking to see what will happen with Likud. Will that mean that there'll be uh, a, a greater attempt to try and uh, fell Netanyahu from the leadership of Likud? Will the ultra-Orthodox parties be pushing uh, even more to come into the government? Will they? Will the other uh, members of the government be able to convince Avigdor Liebman, who is the one preventing that from happening, to allow it to happen in some way, shape, or form after the after the budget? Uh, has passed. So these are all questions after the budget, but at this point in time, the momentum, the advantage, uh, and certainly the majority is with the government to pass the budget at this point. But again, in the days and weeks to come, there'll be far more discussion, far more back and forth. So we'll get a better idea uh, about exactly what's going to happen. So with that, I'm happy to answer any questions on this or any other issues I've talked about or any other issues on your mind. 
right, thank you so much. So the first question we have is, what can Israel take away from the Biden and Bennett speeches? Um, well, from the Bennett speech, as I've said, um, there wasn't too many. The, the speech didn't make major headlines apart from uh, that one line about, you know, we listen to advisors, but at the end of the day, we're the ones who have to make the decisions and they don't have all the information that we do. Um, you know, that, that was the major takeaway. Uh, the Likud and Netanyahu tried to make out as if uh, Bennett's speech was a flop. They tried to show pictures of an empty uh, UN General Assembly while he was speaking. It wasn't the, the pictures from the speech. They tried to use others and they tried to compare how he had the, you know, Netanyahu in his own uh, words, had the attention of the whole world, whereas no one cares or listened to and it tried to show again that he's irrelevant, tried to follow on from what they showed uh, or they tried to show uh, from the Biden-Bennett uh, meeting a few weeks back. Uh, the, the Biden speech didn't make too many headlines here because quite frankly, you know, Israel wasn't uh, uh, too much on the agenda of the uh, Biden speech. Along those lines, in the past, you've mentioned that President Biden is a friend of Israel. Does this still hold true with some of the reversals of uh, Trump's Trump era policies, such as being in favor of a two-state solution or opposing the expansion of Israeli settlements, recognizing the UN registered Palestinians, uh, resuming aid to UNRWA, and planning to reopen a consulate for Palestinians in Jerusalem? Um, I, I, I mean, I, I think he's still a friend. Obviously, he has a different outlook on Israel and it's more in line with the Democratic Party as opposed to uh, President Trump, uh, who is far more, let's just say, favorable to Israel and some of those policies. I think it's unfair to say that Trump, uh, President Trump was against a two-state solution. It was just one that was far more favorable to Israel. He never uh, said that, you know, it was, never came out necessarily against a two-state solution. Uh, but it was going to be, far, as I said, far more favorable. Uh, some of the other things, yes, has been done. Some of the other things to a lesser extent. Um, the consulate is still not a done deal. Israel is still fighting it, and it's on the back burner. Uh, to UNRWA, yes, that, that's certainly different. Uh, but again, someone could be a friend and be far more critical, and someone else could be less critical. I still believe that he has sympathies to Israel. He understands Israel's predicament, but he is still... Uh, with a mindset that uh, you know, a critical friend is still a friend, but he has other interests, he has other ideologies, which would lend itself more to, let's just say, a more even approach. You know, uh, if, we, if we can argue that uh, President Obama uh, was more favorable to the Palestinians and President Trump was more favorable to Israel, uh, we could maybe place President Biden somewhere in the middle. But again, that doesn't mean he's not a friend of Israel. Uh, as we've seen with some of the other steps, you know, you could argue with the whole Iron Dome funding and some of the other things that we've seen in recent weeks. Um, you know, it, it's, it's hard to just put a list of uh, problematic things, but there's also some very positive things that uh, have come out of this administration. Sorry about that. I think my internet cut out. Um, so, Stuart brought us, Iran seems to be using every delay tactic while drawing closer to a nuclear breakthrough. Uh, how close are they to assembling a weapon? Also, is Israel preparing to act militarily? Well, it's hard for me to say 
uh, you know, definitive answer on either. Um, you, you do rate that it, 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 it's very important to break down where Iran is. First of all, it's very hard to say exactly where it is. Uh, there's probably some people who have a far greater assessment than I do. But uh, the questioner made a very good point. How, you know, how close are they to weaponization? Is very different to how close are they to nuclear weapons capability, uh, uranium. That's, those are two different things because there's the payload issues, there's weaponization issues, there's issues of <coughs> ensuring that it can be attached to missiles, etc. What does seem to be is that Iran uh, appears to be, by all reports, especially what's coming out of Israel, we heard Benny Gantz talk about it uh, a few weeks ago, is that they are very close perhaps even only a couple of months away from weapons grade material, which means that the level the Iranian has to be enriched to. I mean, they, we know that they're very close to that months, you know, uh, so one could argue weeks or months, but that doesn't necessarily mean the next day that they have the capability to launch a nuclear warhead towards Israel. Uh, that could be a little bit further back. We do know that the assassination of the head nuclear scientist in Iran has pushed back the overall program uh, because he certainly had the know-how, the knowledge and the technology uh, to push things forward. And without him, that is a great knock to uh, their ability to actually launch uh, a nuclear warhead. Uh, but they are pushing ahead. It's clear that this is just delaying tactics. And as I said last time, uh, as a result, there is a much closer coordination between uh, the security advisors who are going to be meeting again next week, I believe, in Washington this time, uh, the National Security Advisor of Israel and uh, of America. And while there are other issues, uh, Egypt, Gaza, the Palestinian Authority, uh, Iran is one of the main items of the agenda. And, and because of the steps that Iran has taken and will take in the coming weeks, uh, it is clear that there's a greater understanding. There has to be a lot of other uh, options on the table. And uh, when, the, when that sort of language is used, we, we know what they're referring to. Understood. Thank you. From an anonymous viewer asked, recently the Saudis and Iranians met in Iraq. Uh, the next meeting is planned to be in Israel that these two states are meeting and perhaps coming to accords that might be threatening to Israel. So I, I lost you in the middle of that question. I don't know if it's my incident or yours. Sorry. I think it's mine. I'm so sorry. We have been issues, been having issues. Uh, so an anonymous uh, viewer asked, recently the Saudis and Iranians met in Iraq. Uh, the next meeting is planned to be in Jordan. How concerned is anyone in Israel that these two states are meeting and perhaps coming to accords that might be threatening to Israel? No, I, it's not going to get to a situation where suddenly Saudi Arabia will enter, uh, you know, the sort of the, the Iranian uh, side of things uh, in the region. There's too much religious, political, historic enmity between these two countries. There is an attempt to try and at least have an accord to the point where, you know, they, they, they lower the tensions a little bit. But certainly there's not going to be... Um, a point where Saudi Arabia and Iran are in the same orbit when it comes to the Middle East. Um, if anything, the opposite is true. You know, Saudi Arabia aren't a million miles away from this new sort of Abraham Accords orbit. In fact, they are very much underpinning everything that's gone on there. And I don't think that's going to change. But 
you know, they have seen a lot of saber rattling coming out of uh, Iran, the Saudis, and the Saudis have a less, let's just say, favorable or sensitive ear in the White House to the one that they did in uh, during the Trump administration. So I think uh, this is more about that uh, than anything else. Uh, and at the moment, while Israel will certainly be attentive to what's going on, uh, because it's very important, uh, I don't think there's too much chance of suddenly uh, a rapprochement there and they'll both stand against Israel and, and, and some of these other ideas. Thank you. Bob Larrick asks, uh, can the politics with China and Russia be improved for Israel? Uh, do they really want to encourage the Islamic radicalization and violence uh, with an empowered nuclear umbrella, for example, Iran, which could further destabilize their economies and societies? I, I don't really, I'm not sure if I fully understand the question there. There seems to be a lot of different elements in it. Um, I mean, as far, as far as Israel goes, Israel tries to have good relations with every nation there is. It tries to have good relations with the US, obviously our, our first and foremost, our best friend uh, in the world, but it also needs to and tries to have good relations with China uh, and Russia, obviously. Russia is very important because Russia is next door in Syria and it has uh, a major hand uh, in a lot of things that are going on in the region. China's interests are more economic although that can also um, you know, harm Israel's interest, uh, but Israel certainly tried to embolden ties with these two uh, nations. Um, but as far as a sort of, some sort of nuclear umbrella by Iran, uh, I don't really see the connection necessarily there. Okay. No problem. Uh, another anonymous viewer asked them, uh, there was an interesting webinar that they viewed yesterday on the Palestinian political prisoners in Israel. Uh, panelists mentioned a lack of due process and something like 98% conviction rate, uh, citing also treatment issues. Uh, when asked about the Palestinian courts, the panel answer was that the PA and Hamas are not democracies, implying that higher expectations exist for Israel. Uh, what would be your response to the issue of prisoners? Well, first of all, they're not political prisoners. Um, you know, the, the majority of Palestinians and Israeli prisoners are convicted of terror-related offences. I mean, we're talking about attempts to murder, uh, involvement in terrorist activities. You know, some of these people who are called political prisoners are simply mass murderers. Uh, and, you know, we've talked many times that the... the um, the way they're treated, the treatment is, is, is really not that bad. You know, they, they have access to education. Um, you know, the, the facilities we saw, unfortunately, the breakout, you know, that sometimes even the lackadaisical uh, attitude towards prisoners and the Israeli prisoners, uh, prisons. So there is this, uh, there is this uh, uh, narrative that, you know, Israel just randomly goes into Palestinian areas and rounds up people and just arrest them and put them into a prison without a due process. There are some who are in prisons like they are around the world waiting for the process to finish. There are many people in American prisons or British prisons or any other country's prisons who the process doesn't finish because when we're talking about terrorists, we're talking about mass murderers, you don't leave them wandering the streets on some you know, flimsy bail uh, situation while they have the ability to, uh, to, to inflict more bloodshed. Uh, these are very dangerous people. Again, does Israel ever get it wrong? Does any legal system ever get it wrong? 
but Israel is fighting a, a war of terror, not far off in some land thousands of miles away, but in our, our major towns and cities. And while most of the uh, attacks don't make the news, there are daily attacks. There are stones uh, thrown at uh, passers-by in civilian cars. And again, we've seen stones can kill. Uh, so uh, there is this narrative that Israel is unfairly treating uh, Palestinian prisoners. But at the end of the day, uh, the reality on the ground is that they do get due process. They do get uh, to have their day in court. They have uh, full representation. Um, and if there is a high uh, uh, rate of incarceration, that's because there's also a very high rate of uh, people involved in terror. I mean, there are, you know, look at the numbers of people who are affiliated with Hamas or Islamic Jihad or even uh, other, you know, Fatah-related uh, movements. So. Uh, one could easily turn on his head and say maybe Israel is even going far enough at this point. Uh, but yeah, we'll hear these programs and these webinars and these academic, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, writings on how Israel is, you know, has a has a problematic uh, uh, criminal system. But at the end of the day, when you take all the factors into consideration, Israel has a pretty fair system, uh, even for Palestinian terrorists. It gives them their full. Uh, day in court, it allows them full representation. Uh, so I think uh, Israel's doing better than most when it would come uh, to this sort of situation that Israel faces uh, fighting terror. Wonderful. Thank you so much. The, the viewer actually said, great answer. <laughs> um, and as we close out, so as we're going into the second and third reading of the budget, um, what exactly is Bennett's and the unity government's approval rating right now? Have there been any polls lately with the holidays? Uh, no, because it's been the holidays. Israel sort of really does. It goes to sleep during the, uh, during the holidays. And interestingly enough, uh, usually the holidays are towards the end of September. So you have the, the big summer vacation, then you have a few weeks uh, of activity, and then you have the Jewish holidays. But now they are all, uh, you know, sort of, together, so there really wasn't much movement in anything for a couple of months. Uh, so I haven't seen any uh, formal approval ratings recently. The last ones I saw pretty much had most of the parties where they are. The, the blocks remained pretty much the same. They could may have lost one or two, uh, but these were a while ago. It would be interesting to see, and I'm sure in the coming days and weeks, as we get back into the after the holidays uh, sort of atmosphere and back into the swing of things, politics, budget, I'm sure there'll be many, many polls because Israelis love their polls. So I'm sure to report on those in the coming weeks. Wonderful, thank you so much. We hadn't heard of those for a while, so I had to ask. Right. There'll be plenty more, don't worry. <laughs> Great, well, we have come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you again for taking time to update us this week. And for our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday for a webinar with Christine Douglas-Williams discussing Islamism's growing threat to Canada. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a great day.